Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Move Related Show on the planet at the John Campy Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. And how about them Detroit Lions punching the ticket for the Seattle Seahawks Woo-hoo! to get into the playoffs while... Russell Wilson is sitting at home wondering what went wrong. Sorry, I promise. Today's about movies and movie news, TV and streaming. Not about the weekend in football, though. It was a pretty great weekend for Jedi Knights, the PNW, going we to San Francisco. So glad you guys are here joining us today. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it's going to be a great Monday, the start of a brand new week that, of course, is filled with triumph and victory that layeth ahead. And I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Joining me here today, we got Robert Meyer Burnett sitting over there. We got Ray Ora in the background. We got Taylor Gonzalez. And of course, running the show, Jonathan Voico. And damn it, it was just time to give her her own damn desk. Chris Carr is also here with her own desk and her own camera, no longer having to see Rob's shoulder in her shot anymore. Looking mighty cute today. My, uh, but that they, top uh, is But still very close in the same room. And most importantly, you guys are here. We're so glad you decided to make this show part of your day. Here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break it down into two parts. The first half of the show, we're going to talk about some predetermined topics. Then in the second half of the show, if you're one of our channel members and our beloved channel members, thank you so much for being channel members, we're going to open it up for you guys to fire in some live questions. And of course, what we're going to have is in our community tab, Jonathan Voico is going to put up a post in the community tab just for our channel members. Leave a comment on that post that Jonathan puts up a little bit later, and then we will get through as many of those as we can in the second half of the show. All right, guys. With that down, we got a bunch of things to talk about here today, so let's get things started with a couple couple of off the tops, and our first one is this. You know, there's often these, what's the best way to put them, Uh, urban legends when it comes to movies? Did you hear that they were going to make a so-and-so movie? (laughs) And every once in a while, the rumor pops up, and then eventually it passes into myth and to legend, like the opening of Lord of the Rings. It's, It's not a real thing. But one of those movies that has basically become an urban legend is starting about seven years ago. There was some talk and chatter about them wanting to do a gladiator or not a remake, a gladiator sequel, a gladiator sequel. And most people said for why and laughed it off. And then it disappeared. And then a couple of years later, kind of rumblings of it surface surface again, a few months ago, Ridley Scott even kind of said, no, I I really want to do it, but I don't think any of us really thought it was going to happen. Well, guess what? It's news now. They are indeed moving forward with a Gladiator sequel, and they've even got themselves a lead, apparently. This comes from the folks at The Hollywood Reporter who said this. Ridley Scott is readying his long-gestating Gladiator sequel with normal people star Paul Mescal in negotiations for the film's lead role. The Paramount Project is set to follow up Scott's Best Picture winning 2000 feature, which followed Maximus... Decimus Meridius, Russell Crowe, uh, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life and the next. A former general who is forced into being a common gladiator under the rule of Commodus, uh, being Joaquin Phoenix. A, uh, the basic idea of this, though, is in the original film, of course, Lucilla, who is the emperor's daughter, a former love flame for Russell Crowe. Connie Nielsen. She, she played by Connie Nielsen, Wonder Woman's mom, had a son, Lucius who, of course, Joaquin Phoenix's Commodus threatened to kill. Well, apparently, the new film is based on Lucius. And bring up that picture again just for a second there, Jonathan. Once I read that, and I think I heard that before, and then I look at this guy, I'm thinking, I totally buy that this is the older Lucius. So, so look, 
there had been rumors over the years about them doing a Gladiator sequel and somehow the gods send, you know, uh, Maximus back from the, from the afterlife and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of us are like, come on. I, I will say this. This story interests me. The idea of following this up now with Lucius and, and seeing what happens with him later on and having that as the main character. Because I think like everybody else, we're like, nah, the gods send Maximus back. Come on. This one could actually be interesting. Now, look, Ridley Scott has had, a, let's say, a mixed bag the past 10 plus years That's or so. That's one way to put it. He's had a couple of big misses, a couple of really good ones. Martian, for, for so example, good. one of the best films of the past 10 years. But I think this one actually sounds pretty cool. So I am no longer rolling my eyes at the idea of a Gladiator sequel because this one could actually be interesting. I know, Rob, look, you were a huge fan of the original Gladiator. Huge. I know you're like me, that you have not loved some of the ideas we've heard about at Gladiators. But what do you think about this approach? Well, I did. you did bring up the script just now. I believe that Nick Cave wrote it, this that Gladiator script, if memory serves. And it was about that, the gods of Olympus sending back. I was like, nah, I don't know about that. But this is interesting because what is the legacy? Like, I always wanted to know, once Maximus kills Commodus in the, in the ring, like, who takes over? Does Rome stay? Uh, 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 is it is it still imperial? Does it become a republic again? Because they're all, uh, I don't know. But I like this idea, and I've I've always loved. One of my favorite things in life is is the BBC miniseries I Claudius that deals with the succession right. of the Caesars. So I think this is really interesting. Like, what kind of a man does Lucius grow up to be? You know, in the shadow of Maximus and Commodus, his his uncle and. What does he do for Rome and where are we at? And I think it could be a really interesting movie that reflects our time now. You know, how does democracy die with thunderous applause? I mean, there's a there's a lot of great stuff that could happen in this. I'm excited. Look, it depends on the script. Yeah, Ridley, and, Ridley Scott needs to have a great script to work from. And I have to admit, I'm not familiar with Paul Mescal's work. Oh, he's wonderful. I'm so I was going to actually throw it over to you, Chris, because what do you think about this whole, this new notion of a sequel? And what do you think about Mescal well, being, possibly being cast in this? Well, as you know, to the chagrin of the internet, I have never seen Gladiator. Oh, I have never seen this what? film. God, I know. Got to. Every time I bring it up, everyone's like, what's wrong with you? I just haven't seen it. I was, I was younger when it came out and I just never got around to it. But I hear wonderful things and you all obviously really love it. Because you were so. Three when this I was, came I out. was a wee babe, and so Paul Mescal though is wonderful. He was in a series called Normal People that was really, really well received, beautifully done. He's in The Lost Daughter that had Olivia Coleman last year. Um, she got nominated, I believe, for an Oscar for that, that movie as well. was fantastic, really, really well done. And he's great in it. The scene that they have together, which is the two of them drinking and kind of cutting it up, and she's talking about her daughter and everything, is really, really lovely. He's a fantastic actor who's fairly new to the scene. He's only got, I think, about ten credits under his name. He started working fairly recently but gosh he's good or at least we i say he's been working recently we know of his work as of late right but he's really really good so i think with a director like ridley scott i mean this has a lot of potential all right guys question is for you what do you think about the idea of a gladiator sequel understanding that that premise that none of us liked for a long time seems to have been replaced are you open for it maybe you're like chris maybe you've never seen the original gladiator which i'm envious of you if you have not because you still get to watch it for the very first time whatever your guys thoughts are jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there all right guys with that down let's get on over now to our mint mobile 
hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go on over to our Mint Mobile hotline and call the number anytime 24-7 at 951-268-4259. Leave your message on there and you just might hear it on the show. And today, we've got a caller asking about the success of Megan. Hey, John. I just got out of seeing Megan, and I was fun as hell. And I checked the box office at the chat right now. It's 4 o'clock on Sunday. It's already at $45 million worldwide. It's probably even bigger by the time you're hearing this. I'm sure you got a chance to see it, and I'm sure people on the show have now. What do you guys think, and what do you think about this box office performance considering its budget? Have a good day, guys. Thanks. And that in, and you know, again, a little bit of background and context here. They showed us the first previews for Megan back at CinemaCon back in April, to which I honestly didn't like it. I, I didn't like the previews they saw. Over the past months, they've released some trailers that have been better than the previews. Went out to go see Megan the other day. Ball of fun, just a fun movie. I, again, I don't think it's going to end up in my top ten films of the year at the end of 2023, but just a fun little horror movie. I almost even hesitate to call it a horror movie. It's actually more kind of like a a, a, a lighthearted thriller in, in many ways, if, if that makes any sense at all. But the doll was great. The performances were wonderful. The, the dialogue was like it was sharp and crisp. And when the doll does some creepy things, you feel creeped out. Ronnie Chang, is that, his, is that the uh, community's name? Ronnie Chang is, I thought I wouldn't like him in it when he first popped up because he was just kind of playing the same character we always see him play like in Shang-Chi. But it grew on me very, very quickly. Just a fun movie. Now, listen, this movie was made for $12 million. They made this movie for $12 million, and the projections were anywhere between $17 and $21 million. I guessed it would hit about 19 which would be a huge success. Like, exceeding your production budget on your domestic opening weekend is always a good thing. Well, some people thought, like Rob, that it had the potential to go even higher than that, and sure enough, it did. Megan clocked in at $30 million domestic alone on a $12 million budget. A little over $30 million on its opening weekend for a little under a $12 million budget. This thing nearly tripled its production budget on its first weekend and came within 50% of an avatar that everybody thought was going to just cleanly want to run away with the weekend. Again, because they thought Megan might pull in 16, 17, 18 million dollars. But the word of mouth was strong. The critics, critic reviews were really strong. People started talking about this movie. Again, it's not a masterpiece, I don't think. But it's what you want in a good Friday night at the movies, man. You go and you have fun. And I think word of mouth played a huge, huge part of this because when those first previews came out, some people thought, oh, it looks interesting. I mean, at first, people thought maybe nine to four $12 million it can make as we got closer and the word of mouth got bigger. They raised those projections and now we're sitting at $30 million. So all I got to say is bravo to the folks at Blumhouse for taking yet another movie that they made for the change they found in the creases of their sofa and ended up making tens of millions of dollars. And it's just a, a killer thing for it. Chris, you saw the results for it. You'll never see this movie. But what, what stands out to you? I actually, Taylor and I have been talking about how I'm probably going to go see this with him. I think, see, honestly, I think this one you can. I think you so. Really there's, there's not a lot of gore and stuff in this. And and it also is just so ridiculous. Like her, just the clip of her dancing, I'm I'm already kind of in. But I love how Blumhouse keeps doing this. You know, they take these shoestring budgets. They take pretty interesting concepts, right? I mean, it, it kind of is Chucky, but just with a different vibe. 
right at the end of the day. But they execute things really, really well. And they really get such bang for their buck. They do such great ROI kind of work. And it's really great to see things like this do well. You know, I love to see something that doesn't have a huge budget behind it really, really go bonkers at the box office. And clearly, I'm in the minority for not loving these kinds of movies. People want horror. People want to go see this. They want to go get spooked. So why not? Good for them. I mean, you're looking at these little films having great success. Smile We t- was one of the great great stories of the movies of, of 2022. Barbarian did great. Uh, now with this launch for Megan, which, and by the way, I, I understand the comparison I did because before I saw it, I thought the same thing. That is kind of like a Chucky thing. It really is. I, I mentioned this in a tweet. Megan is far more talky Tina than it is Chucky. Right. Oh. Like I think it's, it's far more talky Tina than okay. it is Chucky. But anyway, Rob, you see the results that we're getting here. What, what's your uh, reaction to that? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, you brought up Blumhouse and also James Wan. These guys are people like James Wan, after making the Saw franchise, made the first Insidious for like $900,000. <laughs> and they these guys know how to make, I mean, lower budgets theatrically released making money. When, when you see the streaming services talking about Disney Plus lost $4 billion, I don't understand why all the studios don't have, I mean, you have to have the talent to do it, but aren't making lower budget theatrically released movies that are filling our theaters, our exhibition halls that need movies and are making things like when I saw that, I like the trailer more than you, but as the, the trailers, as they were ramping up toward, right. toward the release, I thought the marketing got better and better. And they better. did. They did. They did a very good job with the marketing of this movie. And you know, this movie has a lot more. It's not just about some killer doll. I mean, there's, there's social satire in this movie. This is actually a legitimate, good movie. I mean, there's a lot in it. It's very entertaining. But when you come away from it, it's not empty-headed. There's more going on. I feel like it was a full meal. Sure, it might have been a fast food meal, but it was a full meal, and it was really satisfying. I mean, I I was very impressed by this, and I think that studios should be looking to do more of this kind of thing. Crowd, The audience I saw it with loved this movie. Yeah, I mean, the it was, crowd I saw with went crazy. They, for it. they, they loved, loved it, and and you know it was you could not leave the theater without having a smile on your face, and and I think that's what we need to see more of. And you 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 do it at a price, you know, and you make. I mean, how much this movie could make a hundred million dollars on a twelve million dollars? It's worldwide. It's already over forty five million. Now it comes down though to you know something you say all the time, right? Like it's it's not just about we'll make a movie for twenty one million dollars. You gotta make a good movie yes. for twenty one million, and, a movie and that's that the hard part. Yeah, I mean, like I had said to you, I think this movie was gonna make more money because it, it's very female oriented, and and people forget that the female audience. I read a, a, a on in Deadline yesterday. It said fifty three percent of the audience for this movie was female, and it also said that across ethnic demographics, it played well to everybody, all audiences, black audiences, Latino audiences, everybody went to this movie. And and that's what you want. You want a movie that everybody comes together, goes into the theater, it doesn't matter who you are, and you have a great time. Women are being lulled to sleep by murder podcasts. Of course they're going to see this. <laughs> have you, I can't remember, have you seen the SNL sketch on oh, Murder, yeah. murder I Show? I love it so much. Murder Show, Murder, murder Show. show. <laughs> yeah, that, they wrote that about my wife. Anyway, <laughs> guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Megan has made $30 million on its domestic opening weekend on a $12 million budget. Is it going to be a film of the year? No, but it's a fun little movie. What do you guys think about this? Did you see the movie? If so, how did you like it? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts 
there. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top here, shall we? And that one is this. Sticking on the theme of Megan and its incredible box office success it's had already. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of legs that has, by the yeah. way. But the studio was not blind to what it has been seeing because it shouldn't come as a big shock and surprise to any of us that a movie that comes out that, you know, gets close to tripling its production budget on its opening weekend. Guess what? They're seeing franchise flash before their eyes, and they are apparently already planning a Megan sequel. This comes from the folks over at CBR who wrote, uh, horror fans haven't seen the last of Megan with a sequel to the first smash hit of 2023 already in the works. According to Deadline, Blumhouse is already in early development on Megan 2. At this time, it is unknown if director Gerald Johnstone, screenwriter uh, Akala Cooper, or any of the rest of the cast will be returning for the sequel. The report comes after Megan blew past box office expectations this past weekend to gross over $30 million domestically, with the film's worldwide box office haul currently standing at $45 million. All right. I will say this. This is one of those things where if you're doing a Jason movie, you don't have to have the same camp counselors from the previous movie in the next one. Right. You don't have to do that because Jason's the star. While I completely agree with the decision to move forward with a Megan two, I would caution them about this. The heart of this movie, Megan, what made it Megan, the doll makes it fun. What made it a good movie was the little girl and her aunt. The, the, the woman who designs and creates Megan and their dynamic and their story. That's what made it a good movie. Mm -hmm. And then Megan made it fun at the same time. I don't know. Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you can't possibly make a good movie without the original cast. I'm not going to say that, but I think you are creating a more difficult path to victory for yourself than you need to. I think we need to come back to this cast. We need to come back to the end. We need to come back to the little girl. I think because if you watch the movie, there's, there's going to be maybe a little bit of a revenge thing going on. I mean, I, I just think this is one they really should look at bringing back the original cast, make it a true sequel, not just a just slap two on it and make it a completely different movie. You can do that with some franchises. I'm not saying you can't, but I think with this movie in particular, having seen it, you got to have the original cast. Either way, it's a smart decision on Blumhouse to do. Anyway, Rob, you hear this story. They're moving forward with a sequel. Important, not important to come back with the original cast because we've seen some a lot of franchises that can move on without that. You know, I, I think back to, there's a story when James Cameron was pitching his sequel to Alien and he was like in a boardroom or with Fox executives and there was a chalkboard. And he walked up and he wrote alien on the chalkboard. And then he put an S at the end and put, made turn the S into dollar signs. And, and <laughs> that's, never heard that. th yeah, that's, that's so I can see that with Megan. Somebody does the same thing, puts an S with dollar signs, Megan's. And it's all about how they roll out this product. They've, they've worked out the kinks and they, they have a production line and there's uh, the, the nation embraces Megan's for Christmas one year. And we still bring the, the our main cast back. But there's now hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Megans everywhere in America. And that's your movie. Chris, there you go. Chris, you know, we were just talking about the box office mm -hmm. results, the, the, the remarkable box office results that it had. Getting ahead of themselves, striking while the iron's hot, 
what do you think of them moving forward and trying to develop a second Megan right now? It definitely seems like they're striking while the iron's hot. You know, yeah. people are talking about this movie. There's so many people on tip TikTok dressed up as Megan doing this creepy dance. <laughs> it's horrifying. Um, I, I obviously still have to see the film, but it sounds like it'd be really fun to have the same crew all on board again, especially because, I mean, our own Aaron Cummings is linked to this young actress, right, yeah. because of her work with Tom. So it'd be really nice to see them all working together again on this in the future. But she was maybe great. it's just more creepy dolls. Maybe it's just Megan being resurrected constantly. Yeah, she the little girl was was wonderful. She was spectacular. Yeah. And the dynamic between her and her aunt, to me, is what made it, again, it's a fun movie, yes, but their relationship is what made it a good movie to me. So I really hope they do. Plus, it's not like this movie is was hugely expensive. You know, that's the thing. You keep the price down, so it's not like they have to go through visual development for a year, like a Marvel movie. No, I mean, you're going to have to pay the actors a little bit more than you paid them first, but you could do a sequel for $20 million. Yeah. I mean, as long as they keep that philosophy. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? It sounds like Blumhouse is probably wisely moving, pardon me, moving ahead with a Megan sequel. Again, same question I asked Chris. Is this getting ahead of themselves or is this striking while the iron's hot? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to move into our main topics here. But before we do, we're going to take a second and thank a couple of the sponsors of our show here today. My favorite mattress in the world. Anna and I love these guys, the folks at Helix and the good folks at ExpressVPN. Guys, we want to take a second and thank the sponsor of this video, Helix Sleep. Guys, let me tell you, just a couple of days ago, Ann and I received our Helix mattress, and it is the best mattress we have ever slept on in our entire lives. We had like this $3,000 specialized mattress that we got like five, six years ago, and we liked it very much, but this one completely outdoes it. It's night and day. And you can get matched with your perfect mattress too. See, Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just like a minute to complete and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way that you sleep. I hopped online, took the Helix quiz, and Anna and I were matched with the perfect mattress for us. And it is so easy to set up. Simply take it out of the box, get it positioned on your mattress, take off the plastic, and then give it an hour to to breathe to reach its full size and you will not believe how comfortable this thing is. All you got to do is go to helixsleep.com slash campia. Take their 60 second sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And it's risk free. They have a 10 year warranty and you get to try it out for a hundred nights. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. And here's the best part. Helix is offering up to $200 off of all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash campia we want to thank one of the sponsors of this video expressvpn guys you ever hear of data brokers they're the middlemen collecting and selling all those digital footprints you leave online they can stitch together detailed profiles which include your browsing history online searches and location data they then sell your profile off to a company who delivers you a targeted ad no biggie right well you might be surprised to learn that these same data brokers are also selling your information to government agencies like the department of homeland security and the irs and you 
you don't want the tax man showing up at your door because of some search you did on your phone. So mask your digital footprints and protect yourself with ExpressVPN. One of the easiest ways for brokers to aggregate data and tie it back to you is through your device's unique IP address, which also reveals information about your location. When you're connected to ExpressVPN, your IP address is hidden. That makes it much more difficult for data brokers to identify who you are. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of network traffic to keep your data safe from hackers on public Wi-Fi. So make sure your online activity and data is protected with the best VPN money can buy. Visit expressvpn.com campia right now and get three extra months free through my special link. That's expressvpn.com campia. And thank you to both our friends at Helix. I that, Seriously, that mattress has changed my life. And our friends at ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. And guys, just a reminder that when you guys support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So make sure you go down into the description of this video right near the top. You'll find links and promo codes to all of our sponsors. And again, thank you to Helix and ExpressVPN. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics on the show? Well, that's easy. That's where you guys come in because you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit and then maybe... Just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, Chris, what is our first main topic today? Our first topic comes from Brian Rogers. Hiya, gang. Greetings from Ireland. I'm unhealthily anticipating Eli Roth's upcoming updated, undated Borderlands movie, an adaptation of the Gearbox video game starring Kate Blanchett. I've been craving for any bit of news regarding its release. Well, I'll have to keep waiting because Deadpool director Tim Miller has been blessed by Roth to helm reshoots. I know you're not too excited for this, John, but surely I'm not the only one who is. My question, how common is it for a director to have their movie completed by another? And can you think of other examples of this situation? The only comparison I can think of is Justice League, and that was a completely different situation. Thanks. All right, Brian. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, it's funny because somebody just brought up on the show last week. Somebody was asking about, where the hell's that Borderlands movie? Yep. That I feel like they went into production like three years ago, like not exaggeration, like three years ago. Everybody's excited about, it, especially when they got a top three, maybe top two. I think there's an argument that other than the street monster, Kate Blanchett might be the greatest actress in the world. So when they landed Kate Blanchett to be in this thing, everybody got really excited. Thing is, she shot this long before she ever shot Tar. And Tar's already done. Tar's now had his theatrical run and everything. It's all done. So where's this movie? Well, they're still working on it and they're doing reshoots. And apparently one of the people who will not be there on the reshoots is Eli Roth. (laughs) Roth ain't going to be there to do the reshoots, apparently. And uh, yeah, instead, it looks like Tim Miller, the director from uh, the first Deadpool movie, who did such a great job on that, is going to be stepping in to direct the reshoots. But it's not, according to the reports, because Eli Roth has been fired or anything. Apparently, it's because Eli Roth needs to get moving on his upcoming Thanksgiving movie, which is a full feature-length version of the mock trailer he did in his Grindhouse thing. Yeah, you're about seven years too late on that, but, <laughs> but whatever. So this comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who wrote the following. 
After word circulated today on the fanboy sites that Eli Roth had been supplanted by Deadpool's Tim Miller on the long gestating Lionsgate video game adaptation Borderlands, allow Deadline to lend a little insight to what is actually happening. Eli Roth handed over the reins on two weeks of reshoots to his pal Tim Miller because he's got to get going with Thanksgiving. The horror film based on a mock trailer that Roth made for the Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez Grindhouse films. Roth has not been fired despite a flurry of speculative reports to the contrary. All right. So that comes us from the folks over at Deadline. Eli Roth, who I really like, by the way. I've met Eli a number of times. He's, he's really, really fun. He's actually come into our studio like twice on two different occasions. Super nice, super generous guy. Um, so he has not been fired off of this. They're going to go into a couple of weeks of reshoots, and apparently his schedule does not allow him for him to do the reshoots. Okay. A couple of things come to mind. My first is this, and I say this as somebody who's got a lot of love in my heart for Eli Roth. I really like him as a director. I haven't liked everything he's directed, but I really like him as a director. I loved him in Inglorious Bastards. Um, I really, really like the guy. There's an old saying. It says, dance with the one who brung you. And while that does not exactly match the situation, to me, it's, listen, you got priorities first. Your first commitment was to this movie. Finish this movie. Then move on to your next one. Now, look, I understand that the world of Hollywood, especially logistics and schedules and all that kind of stuff can be a labyrinth to get through. I understand all that. But just in principle, hey, a studio entrusted you with however many millions of dollars they put up to make this movie. They got you Kate Blanchett to make this movie. Finish this movie. I understand. Like, I understand Thanksgiving is going to be a billion dollar film. But maybe you can make Thanksgiving be the movie that has to get delayed a bit. I mean, you were entrusted to direct this film, finish the film. Now, it sounds like there's no drama behind it, and that's good. And Tim Miller's going to do a great job with the reshoots of that. I have no doubt. I still wish, I mean, again, there may be a thousand other details that we are not privy to that made it impossible for Eli Roth, but my just general impression is, hey man, you committed to making this movie. Finish that movie first and then go do your passion project. Do that a little bit later. That being said, and with all that out of the way, um, there have been several examples of other directors stepping in to finish the work one director did. I mean, obviously, the Joss Whedon one is one of the infamous ones out there. Um, uh, the... Uh, Freddie Mercury biopic was one that, you know, the, the main director directed 80% of the movie and then somebody came in and just kind of finished it off. Uh, a lot of the word around town was that Rogue One uh, was actually had its reshoots and everything overseen by Tony Gilroy, Tony Gilroy yeah. who, of course, then went on to do Andor. So there have been a few examples of that. Uh, I think I think Brad Pitt's uh, World War Z was another one. Although they remade like 75% of that movie and the results were great. So it has happened, although it's not common. Look, I'm just waiting for this movie to come out because we, we've been talking about this film for yeah. years. It's got a really good cast, obviously being led by Kate Blanchett. So I'm looking forward to seeing it and whatever it's going to get it across the finish line, just do it. Anyway, Rob, you hear about the story. What do you think? Well, I think, and again, I don't know anything about this situation, but I think Tim Miller as a choice is really interesting because he comes out of, he has an extensive effects background. You know, before he he did like the injustice, the Justice League injustice, that that cut scene movie or whatever. And I would imagine that that has something to do with it, that these reshoots, I bet, are extensively 
uh, effects heavy. Hmm. And it, it, I would think almost like it's, it's almost like he's second unit, you know, maybe I, again, I don't know, but I would imagine they brought him in because of his expertise with effects. That's something Eli Roth doesn't have a lot of experience with. So maybe they brought him in to accentuate and develop the effect sequences more to, uh, to give them more pizzazz or to, to broaden the horizons of what effects are going to be in the film. So in a way it's either, it could be a very good choice, a very practical choice. Um, because he has much more experience than Eli Roth does. But again, I don't know. But if, you know, if you're going to bring in somebody that's going to help you finish the movie and make it better. Tim Miller's not a bad one to bring in. No, and and he knows his stuff. So, Chris, you hear about this. What do you think about it? I mean, look, as long as they get this Borderlands movie done, because we've been waiting for years, sis, what do you think about this? Honestly, I think this is a really great move because Eli Roth and Tim Miller seem like the two people to attack this kind of IP. Because I don't know if you guys have played the games, but they are bonkers. They are so wildly violent and so funny. I mean, the stuff that comes out of Claptrap's mouth is fantastic. So the fact that it's going to be Jack Black doing that, chef's kiss. Uh, But I think, too, with the whole kind of stylistic look that we expect from Borderlands, having cell shading and things like that, I do agree with you, Rob, that Tim Miller kind of is more versed in that world. And I think at least getting that kind of aesthetic, if they do completely lean into it, is more his wheelhouse than Roth. So this makes sense to me. If you're going to have to reshoot some stuff, and it is very effects heavy, probably lean in with somebody who can really, really do all that heavy lifting. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool, but also that uh, that uh, Terminator film that we don't like to talk about. But at any rate, he's stepping in to direct a couple of weeks worth of reshoots for Borderlands, the movie we've been waiting for since my 18th birthday. Whatever you guys think about this, jump down into the comments section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, Let's move into main topic number two, shall we? Chris, what is our second main topic today? Our second topic comes from Hayden Wilson. Aw, Hayden's my brother's name. Good on you, Hayden. Great name. Over the weekend, some images of promo stuff highlighted The Flash's new suit for the movie. And the director just posted a look at Central City on set. We have not got anything new for the movie since DC Fandom in 2021. Personally, my patience for the official trailer is growing smaller by the day. Me too, bud. But what came out this weekend looks awesome, and I'm just ready for this movie to be out. Did you get a chance to see any of this? If so, does it make you more excited for the movie? All right, Hayden, thanks a lot for sending that in. Appreciate that. And yeah, look, it 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 has begun. As, uh, as they said in Mortal Kombat, it has begun. <laughs> so the marketing... For the Flash is officially ramping up now. They, of course, dropped that ridiculous thing for the CW show with the golden boots. I mean, remember that? <laughs> like, that was just a stupid poster. But for the movie, it's now kind of this is the unofficial launch of the marketing campaign because the director of the film, Andy Muschietti, who is the main and sole reason why a lot of us have been excited about it. He did jump on his social media. This is now out there and this is from the direct. Uh, He has jumped out there and started putting out some now promotional stuff. The directors and the cast starting to put things out usually is that, that calm before the storm. It's the preamble. It's this, the build up of this is when we're starting our marketing campaign. And if you scroll down that page, Jonathan, but you'll see the Instagram post that uh, Muschietti put up with uh, he's on set of what is supposed to be Central City holding kind of a batarang version of the flash symbol in his hand saying Central City at Midnight. Now, he actually edited that 
because his first caption on it was, I found this hashtag the flash movie, but then he changed it to central city at midnight. And so obviously this is not new. This was a, obviously a picture that was taken a long time ago when they were on set and shooting all that kind of stuff. But still this is kind of the bell has been rung. This is it. They are starting the marketing campaign for this. We are, of course, building up to what we understand is going to be the first trailer that's coming out soon. We're going to start seeing some official images because you're right. They haven't really showed us Dick since that DC fandom, right? And they kind of came out guns blazing two DC fandoms ago with all this stuff about Flash and everything. And then it's kind of been all quiet on the Western front since then. We haven't heard anything, but now this thing's going. So it raises the question. Now that, A, Chris, we know that it's real. Mm. <laughs> do and, we? <laughs> do we, though? <laughs> do we? That looks like the fake moon landing. And two, or B, as the case may be, that they are now getting into the business of trying to sell this movie to the audience. It does raise the question, how is the audience going to respond? Ultimately, that's what a marketing campaign is, right? It's a marketing campaign is a set of advertisements meant to elicit a response from the audience to get them excited about coming to see the movie. Can they do this? How do they approach it? Um, I think, look, I, I don't want to be that guy who, you know, puts a whole bunch of imaginary meaning on a single still image that the director put out. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the first kind of little build-up promo thing that they did did not include Ezra Miller in it. <laughs> and I, I think you're going to see them. Obviously, you're going. we're going to see Ezra in promotion. We are. I don't think we're going to see as much Ezra in the promotion as we are accustomed to seeing the main protagonist of a movie being front and center in the promotion. I think we're ultimately probably going to get more Michael Keaton uh, than that. But we are going to see Ezra. But I, I think we're going to see that unlike, say, Hobbs and Shaw, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, which every bit of marketing, almost every frame, had Dwayne The Rock Johnson front and center. I don't think that will be the, the case with the marketing here. But again, we'll, we'll see how they proceed. I think, depending on how good or bad the trailers are, despite everything we've talked about with Ezra Miller, despite the fact that Warner Brothers absolutely will not bring them back, I don't care what any of those other reports have said, Warner Brothers will absolutely not bring Ezra Miller back. Despite, and nor should they. Despite all of that, I think there is also a truth that we've brought up many times that a lot of the average movie going audience maybe have heard about some of the stuff going on with those, but probably don't care all that much. And is this going to be a $200 million opening film? No, but it can be a big opening. It can be successful. And I think if they really lean into the nostalgia of Michael Keaton being there and stuff like that, I think there's an audience to be found. And if they play their cards right, and that's always it, if they play their cards right. But if they play their cards right with this marketing, you can see this Flash movie succeed. And I think you can see it have a really decent opening weekend. Again, we're not talking in the $200 million range or anything like that. But I think it can work depending on how they approach it. And I kind of think this first picture might be giving us a little bit of an insight how they do it. Anyway, Chris, as somebody who doesn't believe in Neverland and that this movie actually exists. <laughs> I believe in Neverland. <laughs> but just not The Flash. Second star on this, right, and straight on till morning. Come on. So what do you think about this picture they put out? And how do you think ultimately the wider movie going on will respond to a marketing campaign? I mean, the image of Central City is kind of... Uh, very Snyder-verse-y, right? It's still gritty DC. And I know it's the town at night and everything, but uh, there's not too much to gleam here, honestly. It's it's a 
metropolitan area. I do like our little flash emblem here. That's nice. I think what they have to do, like you were saying, is really lean into the Keaton of it all. I mean, I think that's what most people are still hanging on to some excitement for. And I know I keep teasing this film and everything, but I think that's that's the real kind of pull right now is Keaton is Batman. Come on, we want this movie to come out so we get Keaton back in the cowl. At least that's my, where my excitement lies. I really don't care about Barry at this point. I really just don't because I know <laughs> I know this is all getting scrapped and everything. Sure, maybe if the film does well, they could in, continue going on this trek, but I don't see Gunn or Saffron continuing on with this version of The Flash. So really all I want is that Lovely, lovely Tim Burton Batman to be back on the big screen. So I feel like that's what you lean into. And I think that's what they're going to capitalize a lot on when we see that Super Bowl trailer. And again, it's it's to go back to something. They showed us footage of The Flash at CinemaCon. And it while Barry was in it, it was clearly a Michael Keaton Batman promo it was keaton heavy it was very it all revolved around keaton's batman and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and i and barry was there and i think we're gonna get a lot of that anyway rob yeah they're kind of starting it up we're five months out from the movie coming out allegedly we're five months out from the flash finally coming out uh by the way i just want to point out i can't remember how long ago it was but i had Stephen amell um on one of my shows, he came in to talk about uh, Arrow. And it was two days after the debut of Grant Gustin's Flash show. And that was the day they announced they were doing Ezra Miller's Flash movie. And I just want to point out, that was seven seasons ago. (laughs) Two days after the Flash started, the very first episode, season one, episode one, and they had announced that Ezra Miller was getting his own Flash movie. That was, and we are now getting ready. This is season seven, right? Is this season seven or eight for The Flash? I can't remember. Whatever. Sure. Seven, eight, nine, Good. ten, doesn't matter. That's how long we've been, they've it was, been it was planning a on this. So allegedly this thing's coming out here soon. Rob, what do you think their approach to the marketing is going to be? And how do you think the general movie going to announce is going to respond to this marketing? I think they're going to focus on the, we don't know anything about the story of what this movie is. By the way, everybody in the live chat has corrected me. Season nine that they're going into. Mm -hmm. That's how long ago they announced this Ezra movie. It's amazing. No, I I think they're going to lean into the story itself. They're going to talk about the character of Flash, the character of Batman. And if rumors are to be believed, we're going to see a lot more than we even know we're getting with this movie. So I I really do think that they're going to lean heavily on the story itself, the other characters, the fact that, they're going to, I think is the marketing is going to, is going to make you believe that this is real. There isn't an actor playing flash named Ezra Miller. There is just the flash, you know, and that's what they're going to do. And I think the story, because everyone's talking about John, we have heard nothing behind the scenes other than this movie's great. Yeah. I have not heard one person say anything and people I've, I know have seen it who have worked on it said the movie's great. No one's ever said anything that, Oh, it's, it's okay. So I would assume that when these trailers start rolling out, they're going to focus on the movie itself, if that seems odd. But I think that's what they're going to do, is focus on the story. I would assume the movie's fun. It's exciting. It's got surprises and revelations that we don't know are coming. And they're going to give us that. And they're going to show us, here's the Flash fun movie that you really want to see. And by the way, Batman's in it. 
Michael Keaton. I mean, that's a big deal. And I think that's how they're going to sell it, the movie to us. I don't think they're going to concentrate. I, I don't think you're going to see, and Ezra Miller is the Flash. I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, and again, you know, Chris brought up something. I, I keep hearing this, and I, I, I just don't understand some people's attitudes towards movies these days. Because like, I, I often still see the question about, why should anybody care about The Flash if they're not going to do another one after it? It's yeah. like, did you like Inception? Or you go, oh, why would I watch? Why would I watch Inception? They didn't do a sequel. What's the point of watching Interstellar? What's the point? If they, there's no sequel, so what? Why would it? Because it's a, hopefully it's a good movie. The same with any anything. Anyway, so but here's they're going to reboot the DCU though. I'm just like, all right, well you can do your thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Bye. all I want, see, just make a good movie. I go into a movie theater not going, how well will this set up a future movie? I go in and go. I want to have a good time. Show me a good movie. Show yep. me a good story, whether it's an interstellar or whatever. Just show me a good movie and, and we're good to go. Anyway, guys, question is for you. It looks like the unofficial starting point of a movie that's now just five months out, this Flash movie that I've been talking about for nine seasons of the CW Flash is finally coming and they're ramping up the marketing now. What do you think they're going to focus on as it starts to come to fruition, starts to come out as we see in TV spots and trailers start dropping, all that kind of stuff? And how do you think the general audience is going to respond to it? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? Chris, what is our third main topic today? This one comes from Ben B., if you had asked me prior to Black Adam's release if The Rock would return to the Fast franchise, I would have said no. Now with Black Adam's lackluster performance, no Hobbs sequel on the way, and some recent PR issues, I'm not so sure. He seemed to have burnt that bridge, but is he part of the family? What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for saying that, in uh, Ben. And listen, that is not a silly question. It's not a silly question. Because as many people know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Vin Diesel had a very, very, very public falling out. Apparently, they have kind of quashed it to the point where like one of like Rock got married, Vin Diesel sent in well wishes, Rock thanked him for that. So it looks like the, the hatred has been quashed, but it didn't change the fact that Dwayne had no intention of going back to Fast 9. I mean, Vin Diesel, and I love, it's like watching mom and dad fight. I, I love Vin Diesel. I love Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And Vin Diesel put out this very, if you guys remember, this very public statement. He put out publicly on social media, instead of calling Dwayne directly, put out on social media, Dwayne, it's time for you to come back. Put the, put the fans first and honor the memory of Pablo, of course, Paul Walker. Come back to it. Dwayne is like, you manipulative son of a bitch. I am not coming back. Give me a call if you want to. Anyway. But this is not the first time that we've seen a star walk away from a big project saying, I'm more than that now. Ironically enough, Vin Diesel is one of those guys who walked away from the Fast and Furious. Don't forget, he didn't show up in the following two sequels to Fast and Furious. He, like Vin Diesel himself was an actor who says, okay, I did these movies, like he did Triple X, he did Fast, he goes, but I'm going to expand myself. I'm going to do more, more than just all that. And then when the more didn't quite pan out, he came back with great success. Sylvester Stallone's another one. Sylvester Stallone hit a point in his career and says, he said, I'm not doing any more Rocky movies and I'm not doing any more Rambo movies. Well, then we got Stop or My Mom Will Shoot and, and, and a few other things, <laughs> including a, do you remember he did that race car movie? Yeah. It was the very first. With Rennie Harlan directing. It was the very first 
real movie that the visual effects company I worked for that we got that we I, did some work on that. It was driven, right? I, was it that might have been that might have been the name. Of it. But the point is, he realized he wasn't having the same success elsewhere. And so not too much time passed when, guess what? Sylvester Stallone said he wasn't going to be doing any more Rocky or Rambo movies. He did more Rambo and he did more Rocky to great success, as a matter of fact. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility that Dwayne The Rock Johnson can, hey, listen, let's call it what it is. Black Adam is the first objectively, objective misstep that he's had in his career. Not that every movie he's done has been a big hit, but he's never had a movie that kind of left a stain. And between all the drama behind the scenes and the potential of what a Black Adam had, this is really the first punch in the face that Dwayne Johnson has taken as far as career. That has been, his career has just been nothing but up, upward trajectory for the longest time. This is the first time. So does this make a Dwayne The Rock Johnson reconsider about going back to a successful franchise like Fast and the Furious? Probably not, because he's not even looking to go back to his own branch of Fast yeah. and Furious in Hobbs and Shaw. This comes to us from the producer of Hobbs and Shaw, Kelly McCormick, recently, who was talking about the possibility of a second uh, Hobbs and Shaw movie, which we were all expecting. But Kelly wrote this. We would love to do another one. There's no conversations at this time, though. I do feel like there were a lot of seeds planted to try to create a spinoff in a way that included Kevin Hart and Ryan Reynolds and sort of all that kind of stuff. And that was intentional, but not necessarily because we had plans in mind, just because it would be fun to have different players for them to play with. If anybody or we wanted to go for in a different way. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, Dwayne's a really busy guy and, you know, he would be the one to motivate to do all of that. So even the producer of Hobbs and Shaw says he doesn't even want to come back to Hobbs and Shaw, which is a damn shame because Hobbs and Shaw made double what Black Adam did. And by the way, was a pretty damn fun movie. I really like seeing him and uh, Jason Statham on screen together. It certainly is the best Fast and Furious movie we've had in the last number of years. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but if he's not even willing to go back to that, I don't think we'll see him going back to this. And listen, listen, listen. Let's let's calm down a little second here. While it is true that Black Adam becomes the first kind of stain on Dwayne's resume, let's not pretend like this is a trend. All right? No. Dwayne Johnson has even did something as stupid as, uh, what's the damn Disney riverboat ride? Jungle, Jungle Cruise. Cruise. He even did something as stupid as Jungle Cruise. And he talked mad shit about Vin Diesel with Emily Blunt. Oh, oh yeah, apparently it was great. And that movie had a lot of success and was fun. Listen, let's. it's not like his career is in peril here. Talk to me after he's had three or four in a row that misfire, and then maybe we can have a conversation, but I think he's perfectly fine. Rob, do you think there's a scenario here that a Dwayne Johnson could be looking at the greener pastures of the Fast and Furious franchise and think, uh, maybe I come back for 11? I don't know. What do you think? Yes. Really? I do. I do. Really? I do because you know what? Money talks. And at the end of the day, it's like, I, I think that, that the, look, Justin Lin, the director of these, uh, many of these movies, uh, he walked, he walked away. away. He walked <laughs> yeah. away too. And I think that there's an, there is a, maybe a, a difference of how to work that Vin Diesel has with people like Justin Lin and Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson is a very focused, you can see from his social media, when he's there to work, he's there to work. 
There's well, he's no, got the best work ethic in Hollywood. There's no shenanigans. There's nothing like that. You know, I, Vin Diesel strikes me as somebody who's like, it's more of a party. Uh, and, and I think that that was where they were butting heads. And I think that, look, I love the introduction of, of Hobbs. Uh, you know, I, I did in Fast Five. I thought he was a great addition to the franchise. Fast Five is my favorite of that franchise by a wide margin. And he was part of that. And I think there is a time for him to come back. It's the last, going to be apparently the last movie. I think they could figure out a way to convince well, him Well, Broken to come into back. 10 and 11. Right, but that's hey. what I mean. Oh, We're 11. talking about 11. But yeah, that being the, the last one. I think, look, you pay him enough. This franchise certainly has generated enough income. And I think if Dwayne made his concerns, he said, look, I'm coming back to do this in this way. No shenanigans. As long as you can promise me that I'm going to have this kind of thing, we're going to do it like this, and I get paid this amount of money, I'll come back. I, I could see that happening. And don't forget, too, in the last one he did appear in, he had no scenes with Vin Diesel. He had, he had said, okay, that's fine, but I'm not going to shoot any scenes with Vin Diesel. I, I, think that, I think he'd want to fight. One last fight with Vin Diesel. One last fight somehow. Yeah, but he'd probably say, the only way I come back is if Hobbs wins that fight. Maybe. I don't know. Because they let Dom, Dom, of course, win the first yeah, fight. Yeah, I mean, it would be, yeah, slap some sense into him. Something like that. But you know what? I mean, at the end of the day, it's entertainment. And you have to think about your audience. You know, it's got to be about, the audience is the one paying to see something. And no one knows that better than Dwayne Johnson does. And if he can figure out a way to make it palatable for him to do the work, and not have to deal with shenanigans, I think he could do it. Chris, he might do it. as as the office historian on all mm-hmm. things Fast and the Furious. Yeah. The Hobbs and Shaw expert. <laughs> the Hobbs and Shaw expert. It's my favorite of the franchise. <laughs> it, it, it literally it is. is. It is both your favorite and your most and hated only. of the franchise. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Look, we... we We've seen drama between actors before. Like, I doubt we're going to see Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron make a movie together again anytime soon or anything like that. But could there, I mean, after what's happened with Black Adam, Mike Tyson said it best. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And with Black Adam, this is the first time we've seen The Rock take a punch in the mouth as far as his career goes. Could that be enough to motivate him to say, you know what, maybe I can go back to Fast Furious? I don't know. Do you think that could happen? I mean, it could. Money talks, right? At the end of the day, I think we all like to think that all actors and filmmakers and everything, they're they're very high and mighty artistic folks. But, you know, some people do like a paycheck. I, I wouldn't stub my nose at some money. And I feel like a lot of actors are in the same boat. That's why you have people like Glenn Close doing things where it's the, I'm going to make this Guardians of the Galaxy and then go back to my indie filmmaking, right? right. One for you, one for me. And I I think that that could happen here. Um, I definitely see it more of doing another Hobbs and Shaw, which I would love because that movie was fun as hell. I really enjoyed it. I had no context for it, but I really liked it. And I think you could totally have him be part of this. There's what, like a cast of 30 people at this point? This family's huge. They are very Italian. Gosh, there's so many of them. So you could do so many scenes without him having to really interact with Vin. And, and maybe they have buried the hatchet. But some of the stuff he said in public... The kind of Fellini-esque comments he was making with Emily Blunt. I don't think that they're buddy-buddy. So I don't see the two of them working closely together. But I still think there's room for him in this franchise if he chose to go back. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Do you think that maybe, just maybe, that Dwayne The Rock Johnson, that maybe Vin can get on the phone with Dwayne again and say, hey, look, instead of me trying to do it publicly, let me reach out. Do you think maybe there's an avenue here where maybe The Rock can come back 
for Fast 11. I have my doubts. Rob seems to be more positive on it. But what do you think? Do you think this is a possibility? Yes, no. What should they do? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. Chris, what is our fourth main topic today? Our fourth topic comes from the Antagonistic Anonymous. Hey, crew. Game day. Game day. Today, we are getting the main trailer for Ant-Man Quantumania, and hopefully with that, the tickets go live as well. One indication for me that uh, of that is that Fandango has now reported the runtime for the film at two hours and five minutes, making it the longest film of the Ant-Man trilogy. Along with a report by the direct uh, has suggested the film is also currently undergoing reshoots this close to film release, which is now starting to become a normal tradition for Marvel. So, John, my question is, does the runtime increase or decrease your hype for the movie? And are reshoots this close to the film concerning? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in. Now, as far as reshoots go, it's it's really unfortunate we still have to talk about this today. Because, look, there was a time back in the olden days, there was a day and a time in Hollywood history when hearing the term reshoots was, like, disastrous. Because movies didn't do reshoots because that meant more money, more time, trying to get the logistically getting people back together, all that kind of stuff. It just was not done. And when it was done, that meant there was real problems with the movie. Even just going back as far as, say, the Brad Pitt movie World War Z, right? When we heard they had to go back and reshoot like 75% of the movie because it was a disaster, apparently. Now, the results ended up being very good. So the reboots were or the reshoots were good. However, the era of Marvel changed all that. And Kevin Feige has talked many times about the fact that now when we shoot a Marvel movie, because we have the money, we plan we plan our reshoots in advance because Kevin Feige says, unlike days gone by, where you sit in the editing room watching the dailies. It didn't matter if you're watching the dailies and came up with a better idea. Tough. You got to stick to your shooting schedule. You don't have the time, the budget, or the, the organization to go back and implement this new idea. Or if you saw a little something that, you know, I bet we could do that a little bit better. It, it didn't matter. The way Hollywood always was is too bad. You got the movie that you got. But Kevin Feige and Marvel started making so much money, they started planning this in advance where Kevin Feige could sit down and watch the dailies with the director and go, you know what? I just had an idea. What if we did this? Guess what? They've got the money that they can plan in advance to do that. So with this whole thing about uh, like a couple of days of reshoots for Ant-Man, really all that tells me is that Kevin Feige had an idea or Peyton Reed had an idea and they thought, you know what? Yeah, yeah, we got time. Let's go shoot it. It's a great idea. They put it in. So honestly, yeah, the days of hearing about reshoots being a concern are gone. Today, it really, unless it's a smaller indie film because they don't have the big budget, today you hear about reshoots is just that because that means they, have, they can afford to implement an idea they just had. That's really all that is. Now, let's get around to the main part of the story here, which is, according to Fandango, the runtime of Ant-Man 3 has now come out. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So let's go back and look at a history. Let's just jump into the classroom, can't be a classroom here for a second. So as we look at the first Ant-Man, it was one of the shorter MCU movies at one hour and 57 minutes. We move on to Ant-Man and the Wasp or Ant-Man 2, and you see it go up by a whopping 60 seconds. So it went up to one hour and 58 minutes. By the way, I 
Oh, I love the first Ant-Man movie. Passionately love that movie. I really quite like Ant-Man 2, not quite as much as Ant-Man 1. Well, according to Fandango, the runtime for Ant-Man 3 is a whopping seven minutes longer or eight minutes longer than the original, two hours and five minutes. All right, so look, the reality is it's not much of a difference. This just tells me that Peyton Reed knows how to tell his stories and he likes to tell them all killer, no filler, only have in there what needs to be in there to progress the story and to entertain the audience and don't worry about the rest. And if his movies don't need to be longer than two hours, then don't make them longer than two hours. And I love that. I love that in him as a filmmaker. So look, but at the end of the day, the bottom line is a longer runtime or a shorter runtime does not equal quality or lack of quality. Right. I mean, we've had to go through like a movie being three hours long does not mean the movie is going to be bonkers good. A movie being 90 minutes does not mean it's going to be anything less than awesome. So a movie's runtime needs to be right for that particular movie. We've talked about it a million times. So eh, it's nice to know we're getting eight extra minutes than we did from the first Ant-Man. But honestly, it doesn't really much. But it is the longest Ant-Man movie we've had so far. Rob, you've heard about this. First of all, do you think there's any alarm bells that go off with the fact that they are they are doing a, some more pickup shooting? And then what do you think about the runtime of the film? Well, one, uh, no, there's no danger. And you put it best just now. These aren't reshoots. They're pickups or they're additional photography. These Marvel movies have had that built in. You know, these big franchise properties, I heard it put once a long time ago that everybody expects to capture that lightning in a bottle. Like you said, that's how it used to be. You had principal photography and that was it. But on these, now in the digital realm, it's much easier to go out because when you're dealing with photochemical processes and having to cut in that footage in a negative or something, that's tough. But in our digital world now, it's much easier to shoot things very close to release date and get them in. So it doesn't, they're pickups. Of course, you know that this is where they're putting the Fantastic Four in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. That's not true. I don't know anything. I'm just can, saying. Can I just say something here? Let me let me let me run into the room and like Skeletor drop a bomb and say goodbye, folks. I saw two images from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. And my jaw dropped. I will tell I will tell you guys what it is after the show. I forgot to tell you before the show started today. I had two images sent to me of Ant-Man and the Wasp. And all I'm going to say is that my jaw hit the floor with these two images. And I, I will tell you what it was okay. once, we're, we're, once we're off the show here. But so I think that, that that has become par for the course for these Marvel movies. And the thing is, when you're making these, these films and you have an interconnected universe like this, where every movie expands that universe a little bit more, when you see things that you can caress in and put things in to make them better, they're going to do it because they've got the production... They own Atlanta practically, so they can always go out. They always have a place to shoot. Oh, yeah. They can always go do what they need to do. So to me, what 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 this says to me is that Marvel really uh, always keeps an eye on refining their product and making it better. Sometimes when they make things like I, I didn't dislike Thor Love, Thor Love and Thunder to me was conceptually not what I was interested in seeing. They went in that direction, but I'm sure that they did the same thing with that movie, too. They refine these things so the the 11th hour because they can Peter Jackson did the same thing on the Lord of the Rings. Movies. Yeah. He pushed those movies to the very edge. Cause he could, he owned all, he owned all the, uh, if they wanted to get a shot of Gandalf rearing back on shadow facts, they go out in the parking lot, put up a green screen, get the horse, do it, find somebody, put them in a wig. They would shoot it and cut it in. They literally did stuff like that. So they can do it. I think that this is an important film for them. They're making sure it's going to be the best it can be. 
Chris, you hear about this. I mean, it is only an eight minute difference as yeah. far as runtime, but do you think there's any significance to the runtime change? And do you think there's any significance to the pickup shots they're doing? I really don't. I feel like it's just kind of making sure that the shots are what they need to be, or maybe including a character that we need to see in a post credit scene, something of that nature. Mm -hmm. Eight minutes feels like something that is enough to be important, but not enough to change the game here as far as the actual content of this film goes. It just feels like it could mean something for the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I feel like maybe we're getting a longer fight, a cameo of some kind, um, some really, really great uh, CGI work on something. Maybe we've got a, a longer shot of Kang existing in the quantum realm. You know, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to really shake us up, though. I think it's just Peyton doing what he needs to do to get this to be where it needs to be. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think tonight? Tonight, the new Ant-Man trailer drops. Is that true? Do we know that for a fact? Yep. Yeah. yeah they're dropping it to, with, the, with the college football championship oh, on it. tonight. Right, right, TCU, right. Georgia. Seen a lot of people driving in with Georgia license plates and Texas license plates. A lot of people coming into town because the championship game's being played out here. Uh, we're going to be talking about this trailer, obviously, tomorrow. But what do you think about these changes? Whether it's the time change, whether it's the pickup shots, anything for you that you think raises an issue? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's go up to my shot there, Jonathan. With that down, let's move on to main topic number five here, shall we? Chris, what is our fifth main topic today? This one comes from Nathan Allen. Hey, John, Avatar The Way of Water has been crushing it at the box office, earning the title of highest grossing film of 2022. As it sits at $1.71 at the box office, there looks like this uh, film is not slowing down. Considering you didn't think this movie wouldn't make $2 billion, what are the chances of this passing the $2 billion mark? And what would this mean if James Cameron has three films that have grossed over $2 oh, billion? Geez. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Nathan. And yeah, listen, the, the last year and a half has been a cacophony of two different extremes, right? On the one extreme, some people saying uh, Avatar 2 will be the first movie to make $3 billion. To which we've always, it's not going to make as much money as the first Avatar. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I didn't think it would hit two. Like I thought it would be a big hit, big hit, but I, I didn't think it would make two. I thought it'd be 1.5, 1.6, 1 1.7, which is where we're at right now. Then there's the opposite side, this large group of people who are like, nobody cares about Avatar. No one's going to go see it. No one's going to go see it. It's, you know, nobody cares about Avatar. Everybody realizes now that Avatar sucked and no one's going to go see it. And for a long time, Rob, you and I have been telling people, do not doubt James Cameron. For a lot longer than other people. Yeah. Now everyone, now everyone says that. Yeah, now everybody says we cool were, we were not now. We're not bandwagoners here. No. We were, we We've were been there. telling everybody for, for a long time, don't doubt James Cameron. Never. All he does is squat down and crap out hits. That's what he does. That's simply what he does. Now. The movie is now sitting at $1.7 billion and has already become the seventh. Think about this. In the history of Hollywood, the tens of thousands of films that have come out, produced in Hollywood and around the world, this movie, as of today, and it's still going, is the seventh largest box office film success in history. Let's bring up the uh, the chart there, Jonathan, on uh, on my screen. But as we see it there right now, sitting, it has just passed the number eight film of all time, Jurassic World, that had $1.6 billion. Avatar, The Way of Water, now, still going, is the number seven all-time film. 
and it's only about 200 million behind Spider-Man No Way Home, which is impressive. And then, of course, you're getting into the top five with Avengers Infinity War. There are currently only five films in history that have made the two billion that have hit the two billion dollar mark. Only five in this most exclusive of clubs. Obviously, James Cameron's Avatar, Endgame, James Cameron's Titanic, Star Wars Episode Seven, and Avengers Infinity War. Only five. I would say this. It is not a foregone conclusion that this thing's going to hit $2 billion. It still has $300 million, by the way, is about as much as Black Adam made in its entire run. <laughs> $300 million for a film going into its fourth and fifth weekends is not a small amount. As a matter of fact, this past week, it only, <laughs> what a weird way term to use, only made $200 million. And it's only going to make less this week than it did last, and this is going to make less. So it is not a foregone conclusion that it'll hit $2 billion. But it is well within reach. It is well within reach now. And while I thought that Avatar was going to be a big smash hit, 1.5, 1.6, 1.7 billion dollars, I did not think it had hit two. Completely convinced it's not going to hit the original, which it's obvious to everybody now it's not going to become the first $3 billion film. But two billion today is well within reach. That Avengers Infinity War and Star Wars Episode Seven are within reach. I don't know that it can get to his Titanic movie at 2.2. That's still $500 million away. But Spider-Man No Way Home, very within reach. Avengers Infinity War, very within reach. Star Wars Episode Seven, very within reach. And if this happens, and it's able to go, excuse me, excuse me, and nudge Avengers <laughs> Infinity War out of the top five, that means James Cameron... One guy will have three of the top five box office films of all time. Three. Now, you can say, hey, well, you know, the, the Russo brothers, who I adore, have two of them. Yeah, but the Russo brothers' entries in there are really Kevin Feige's entry, entries in there. And they were films that were built with a 12-year buildup and a 20-film buildup with 15 of the biggest stars in Hollywood. There's a lot of asterisks to put that. Titanic solo standalone movie. Avatar 1 and 2, the only two in the franchise. I mean, we are literally talking about the top five films of all time and three of them belonging to one guy. Do not sleep on the significance of this. It's, it's undeniable at this point. And moving forward, if you are still in the doubting James Cameron business, you are certifiable. If you are still in the doubting James Cameron business, you are absolutely certifiable. It's pushing six billion altogether. <laughs> three films. For three non granted, Avatar 2, now you can qualify as a franchise. But basically, non-franchise films. Without 10 years of buildup, without 17, 18 films coming forward, without 18 of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Three of the top five of all time. This is astonishing. Anyway, Rob, you see these numbers. It's hit the 1.7. It's now the seventh highest grossing film of all time. What do you think the ceiling for it is? I think it's going to overtake Force Awakens, which is at 2 billion 68,000 or something. Yep. 68. I think it's going to sit right underneath Titanic. That's where it's going to... You think it's going to nuzzle into the fourth Nuzzle into spot. the fourth place, and that's where it's going to stay. 
um, maybe more, who knows, re-releases over the next couple of years. But what's really interesting about this, too, is is James Cameron has been embattled through this. It's not like people said, oh, of course Titanic's going to be a success. That was a nightmare to make. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah there's it, a it lot of drama. Paramount and Fox both had to share that. I mean, it was a nightmare. People were like, what's going on down in Rosarito? And people thought it was he was insane. And and making Avatar, nobody even knew, is this going to work? You know, and, and I've heard things to the extent of, of like, even now with with the one thing about Avatar 2, Way of Waters, is he was also shooting Avatar 3 and 4. Yeah. So, at this, so when they talk about the budgets of these movies, you know, they're amortized across these multiple films. But even now, you know, they wonder, are they going to be able to get the effects done by Christmas of 2024? Are they going to get it out? So he's always like in battle. No one, no one from a production standpoint is like, oh yeah, he'll, he's great. He's he's he's, not, he's coming up with, yeah, you know, no one's ever done underwater motion capture. I think I'm going to try that. He had to come up with new equipment that didn't exist to do underwater motion capture, just like he's wont to do. I mean, that's pretty, pretty spectacular. Isn't that uh, the new Nirvana album cover? There you go. Right. Um, and uh, I I think that Cameron will do it. I think that it's going to out. It's going to go over two billion dollars. They'll probably leave it in the theaters just to make sure that happens. But until Quantum Mania comes out, which is a, yet another Disney movie, uh, I mean, it's got real, really no competition. So, you know, we'll see. And once again, you know, John, when I saw this movie the second time, I really this is a family movie. Yeah. And for all the action yeah. adventure, it's about a mother and father. And they're a functioning family of their two kids, their adoptive daughter, and their cousin, their crazy cousin Spider. And it's about <laughs> it's about a family. And in a way, there's a wholesomeness to it that who, where else are we getting that from? And that was not something I would have expected. And I think that undercurrent is one of the reasons that these movies resonate. Yeah, I saw it a second time. And again, without giving any context, you, you people who've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. The scene with Natiri the second time hit me even harder. Like, oh, damn. Hey, everybody who's seen the movie knows what I'm talking about. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> like, like, like the hair on your arm stands up. Anyway, Chris, we are... Look, this thing may fall short of $2 billion, but even if it does, I think it catches Spider-Man No Way Home and it'll get in the top oh, six. Yeah. And then it's not much further for it to catch up to Avengers Infinity War, Star Wars Episode Seven. We're, we're talking about the possibility of three... Of the top five films of all time belonging to one director, how high, what do you think the ceiling for Avatar 2 is right now, and how significant is this? I really do think it's going to hit $2 billion. I really think it's going to. It's got legs, and my friend Scott alone is going to get this movie there. He's seen it five or six times in theaters, <laughs> so good on you, Scott. Look at you supporting James Cameron. I mean, we've said it so many times on this show, you gotta bet on him. No matter how you feel about James Cameron as a person, you can't deny he is a fabulous director who can deliver blockbuster films. He knows how to get an audience's blood pumping. And sure, is the third act kind of a greatest hits moment where we've got a lot of Titanic, a lot of Terminator 2? Yes, but I'm here for it. Yeah, it was it's awesome. so freaking fun. It's so great. Anytime water's on fire, like, fuck yes. I love that. <laughs> so I really think this movie can go the distance. And the fact that he is going to have that number of films in the top five, potentially, just speaks volumes. I mean, I've said it before on here. There, there was a mentor of mine who said there's a difference between being cocky and knowing when you're the best. And sometimes James Cameron walks that fine, fine yes, line. Yes, he does. But there are moments where I'm like, all right, Jimmy, you know what's up. 
he, he he makes money. He might want you off your lawn, but he'll get you into theaters. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, somebody asked a question a while ago. I, I, I think it was last week. Somebody wrote in a question. I can't remember exactly how they worded it, but it's like, okay, you're a producer. You're trying to get your biggest returns. And you've got the option between getting Steven Spielberg, who I believe is the greatest filmmaker of all time, and James Cameron. Who do you go? Without hesitation, James Cameron. If 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 the question is to get my biggest returns, yeah. Steven Spielberg will make the better movie. James Cameron will make a great movie, but that knows how to thrill the audiences and will get the audiences out. And you're talking about a guy who hasn't who didn't just fall ass backwards in luck with Avatar. This is the guy who made my favorite action film of all time in True Lies. He did Terminator. I mean, he, he he's been able to make just make all this stuff. It's not a good business to be in the James Cameron doubting business. And it will, will people ever learn? And by the way, I don't know. Look, I still don't think the Avatar 1's box office mark, I honestly don't think it'll ever be broken. I really don't. I, I don't think it'll ever be broken. But I mean, who knows what happens once Avatar 3 comes out and Avatar 4 comes out and it starts to have get, it starts to develop some of the advantages that like Endgame had with we had a bunch of build up to it and so who knows? I mean, I don't know. A lot of things to do here. Uh, Ray, you still haven't seen this movie. Nope. What's it going to take? Uh, probably this week sometimes. <laughs> We've been saying that for three weeks, but maybe this week. Ray, yeah, Anne's maybe. been trying to get Ray to go. Go is like, oh, I don't think I'll be able to make it. But we'll see. One of these days you'll see. Anyway, you'll guys, love it. You'll love it, Ray. You'll love mm-hmm. it. All right. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? I mean, it's already the number seven biggest film in history, which means three of the top seven belongs to one guy. It could very well become three of the top five, maybe even three of the top four. What do you think the ceiling is right now for the success of Avatar? And how significant do you think it is? Or do you want these people that just thinks, ah, who cares if James Cameron's got three of the top five? I, I don't know. I think it's a big deal. Maybe you don't. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, we're going to move on now and start taking some live questions from those of you who are our channel members. And by the way, if you're not a channel member, why not sign up, become a channel member? By the way, a little bit later this afternoon, there is going to be a channel member only town hall meeting. So keep an eye in the community tab for what time that's going to be. I think it's probably going to be around 3.30, 4 o'clock time today. Keep your eyes open for it. Make sure you guys come join us for that. But head on over to the community tab right now. There's a post in there asking for your questions. Fire them in. We'll get through as many of those as we can. But before we get to those, let's take a break here and thank a couple of the sponsors of today's episode of The John Campus Show. The great folks over at DraftKings and, of course, Ryan Reynolds' own Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to thank one of the sponsors of this video, DraftKings. Guys, the NFL playoff picture is now locked in and your go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. So to kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? And if it were me, I wouldn't be betting against the Bills or the Bengals right now. So guys, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code Campia, C-A-M-P-E-A. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code Campia. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, 
Mint Mobile. If saving more and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save money this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Guys, I have told you before that when I was on one of the major phone carriers, I was spending literally three times as much every month and switching to Mint Mobile couldn't have been easier. So for people just looking to save some extra money this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily in just minutes with eSIM. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you again to our friends at DraftKings and of course Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to go over now and start taking our member questions. Uh, just a quick note, though. Uh, as always, we're going to start off with the month anniversary questions that you guys send in. However, I'm going to let you guys know that some of you guys have a novelist heart and you feel like writing a long dissertation in your questions. We simply don't have time to like spend 45 seconds just reading a question. So if you've sent in one of these mini novels for us to read, um, take advantage of your next month anniversary one and send in the same question, but just shorten it up because we don't have time to read the really, really long ones. We're going to have to skip over some of those. All right, but for that down... What do we got in there, Taylor? All right, so I'm going to start with the ones from Friday. We have uh, Sean Z Comic who gifted one membership. Thank you. Uh, then we have Jordan Hurd who says, "You people reminds me of the dinner scene in Anchorman Two. Oh, that, the, with the the dinner scene in Anchor Anchorman Two is the best scene in that movie. Anchorman uh, Two is far far inferior to the first Anchorman, but it has its moments. That moment was the best. So this is though clearly a guess who's coming to dinner kind of motif, though, wouldn't you say? I would say absolutely it is. All right, hundred percent. What's next? <laughs> All right, next up is Mighty Tank One. Over under twenty five percent. A League of Super Pets sequel happens. Under. I mean, listen, it didn't do badly as a matter of fact, and surprisingly, I ended up liking it, but it. It didn't do great. And with all the drama that's gone on with Dwayne The Rock Johnson too, and now that we know, uh, but uh, I'm going to go under that. Not impossible, not zero, but I'm going to go under. I think and so Zaslav has been moving away from the animation, like from even on HBO Max, he's been trying to separate it. So Yeah, I think he feels differently about major motion picture releases oh, in I theaters see. versus made for direct home video stuff. But uh, but you're not wrong. I mean, the Zaslav angle has got to be coming there too. All right, what's next? All right, next up is The Man with the Master Plan. What about starting with Batman Beyond in the DCU and how do we get uh, your storyline? No, no, nobody cares about Batman Beyond. Uh oh. I mean, you, you definitely look, it's one thing to say, let's do an offshoot thing and have a Batman Beyond. You certainly don't build your universe no. around Batman. I mean, come on, Chris, even you have to agree with that. I mean, that. you don't build your universe about it, but stop saying people don't care about it, John. We care. We care a lot. Yeah. Eh, you about- don't care. You don't, because your heart is dead. I, I don't am know. the people. Oh, no. I am the people. I've, I've roughly the same amount of people care that actually believe the flash is going to happen. So I. I <laughs> All right, what's okay, next? All right, next up is Brandon Nezamodine, who says, I'm so happy Wednesday was renewed for season two. Again, I mean, somebody wrote to me and asked, why didn't you guys talk about that on Friday's show? Because it's not, it's not news. 
I mean, it's the number one show on Netflix for like five weeks running. Right. It's not news <laughs> that it's getting season two. What would have been news is if it didn't or if they did indeed change networks, which they did not. We said it's probably going to end up back on Netflix. So to me, it wasn't really news. But yes, for people who are fans of that show, like Anne is a big fan of that show. Very, very happy that they finally made it official. All right, what's next? Next up is Joseph SFL. Tried to comment the other day regarding MCU recaps. It would be hilarious and informative if Michael Pena's Ant-Man character did the recaps before each MCU movie going forward. We've said, we've been saying that for years. Mm -hmm. We've been saying that for years. That I honestly, seriously, I... I get it. There are these little, you know, novel ideas that people float around. Having Michael Pena's Luis character, maybe not every MCU movie, but some of the key milestone ones. So I was like, okay, so let me catch you up to date. And like, that's just gold waiting to be crapped out from the golden goose. Like, I, who wouldn't love that? Like, there's got to be a way for them to do this. I, I, by the way, I'm super concerned that... We're not getting Luis in the in A Man Three. I know, and I'm really bummed out about that. He's and I no wonder. I hope it's not some rift between him and the studio somehow. That's no, probably just, just they don't see the character yeah. fitting into the but story. That, but. It's so funny because that's one of the that's one of the things that set the Ant Man movies apart. With those was Luis's commentary. It was a great thing, and and you know to apply it to the larger MCU seemed like a no brainer. Even as they do these dumb. Like, uh, what are these videos they put on Disney Plus? Like, as a build-up to WandaVision, they had this little thing about... I mean, they're fine, those little things. What do they call them? What's the name uh, of Marvel those? Marvel Legends. Marvel yeah. Legends? Right. Then just do it as a as a seven-minute short on Disney Plus, like yeah. one of those Marvel Legends things. I, do, I don't know why they're not taking advantage of this. People would watch the hell out of that. All right, what's next? All right, next up is uh, KJ McGrew. Happy Friday, guys. My question <laughs> would be... Uh, there's a 50-50 chance of James Gunn doing Justice League first, loosely on the animated series, and then doing the standalone movies. I, While I think that's a good idea, I do not think it's a 50-50 chance that happens. I think it's much, much smaller than that. I am all for then launching the new DC with Justice League. Introduce all your characters there, build them up, and then go off and do some solo movies. Do it the opposite of the way Marvel did it. I think there's a lot of success there to be had. But there's more than one way to skin the cat, as they say. Yeah. And um, while I would love for them to do it, I don't think it's a 50-50 chance. What do you think, Rob? No, I I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's. I think it's hard to say. I think, like you say, Justice League, we all know the characters now. So you could do jump into a team movie and it would be interesting because we would be getting those characters new, like the new iteration of Superman yeah. and Batman. And that would be even more compelling to watch, but I think they need to plant their flag with one very distinct. I, I would imagine it would be Superman. You're probably right. Out. Yeah. Or, or, but I, I can't imagine we, we've already got a, the Batman movie. So I don't think that's a priority. It's going to be one of the priorities, but I think that Superman's got to lead off because it, He's the cornerstone of all things DC. And they've got to give us, they have to bring joy back to the character. Mm -hmm. Chris, do you think there's any chance? Did you, what, I mean, I think we all acknowledge there's a chance, but yeah. do you think there's a 50-50 chance to start off with the Justice League? I wouldn't go 
perhaps. But I will say to our, our viewers point here, the animated series did a beautiful job of introducing the entire team yep. in a very short period. In our pilot episode, you meet everyone, you understand their backstory, you see who's recalcitrant to work with one another, who's not, who wants to have a team. And it just is off to the races. And it's really, really well done. So I think they could look to that formula and do it that way. Because like you said, we already know who all these players are. We're just going to have new people in the roles. All right. What's next? All right. Corey Hensley, wondering if Gun and Saffron will go with Marvel's tone or keep it darker. I actually never had a problem with DC's tone, but no, it's not for everybody. Tone, there was never a, this is, look, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this before, and I've spoken about this for years. The problem with the DC was never tone. That was never the problem. The problem was they didn't make them as well as Marvel made their films. Now, that, that's up for debate, and that's up to individual preferences, but there's no denying that the vast majority of people preferred Marvel movies over the DC movies. But I don't think tone was the issue. You can do it in that tone, but still make it you know, fun and exciting, and you can do all that kind of stuff. I think James Gunn understands this. Look, there are still a segment of people out there, a significant segment of people out there, who just want DC to keep doing things the way they've done them. And that's fine, but I'm the kind of DC fan that I'm not satisfied with DC continuing to play second-class citizen to Marvel. I don't want DC to continue to be to fall to trail so far behind. What's the, name me a Marvel movie in the last ten years that made three hundred million dollars? Hasn't happened. I mean, the lowest of the low was Eternals, which made I don't know somebody look up how much Eternals made at the box office, but I think it was in the four hundreds. Something like that was the lowest. But that's 300? Yeah, 402 kind of million? How much? 402? 402. Eh, the, the 300 range is kind of DC's thing. And that was by far the lowest one they had. And that was a pandemic movie, too. Yeah, and, and it was a pandemic. I am not satisfied as a DC fan to see DC continuing to wallow there. And if you are the type of person who thinks that, well, they can just keep doing things the way they were doing them, and it'll just magically... No, it won't. We've seen it long enough. It won't. They're going in the wrong direction. You need James Gunn and Peter Saffron to change things up here. So I, I don't think tone's the question, but it will be their own. It will not be what DC was. It will not be what Marvel is. It'll be their own. And it, they need to change it. It has to change. All right, what's next? All right, next up is Lawson Films. Hey, John and crew, I saw the trailer for The Old Way with Nick Cage, and I loved it. But I saw the Rotten Tomato score was at 36%, and now I'm worried. Look, Nick Cage movies... You know, with Nick Cage, the past decade, if you're if there is a Nick Cage movie, there is an 80 percent chance it is a well, this looks like drivel, but I only have to be on set for two weeks and I get paid seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. And then every once in a while, he does a pig or whatever. I'll tell you what, though, they're Renfield. I watched the Renfield trailer again when we went in to see Avatar and had never seen the trailer before. She goes, this looks really fun. I'm like, yes, it does. That's the Nick Cage movie for us to keep our eyes on right yep. now. All right, what's next? All right, next up is CJ Rebirth. Started playing the Last of Us game, and wow, the trailer hits different. Also, whenever Ellie speaks, I go, wow, why is Tara cursing, LOL, and I hate the clickers. Clickers I, are the worst. Again, I, I watched the trailer again and watched the trailer, too. I, I cannot wait for this show to start. I am literally, and we are now less than a week away. We are less than a week away. It's next Sunday, right? 
I believe it's yeah. next Sunday. Sunday. It drops. Some of us are mere hours away. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor's going to premiere. got one of them fan screenings. He gets I'm to go to see. The, is it the first episode or the first two episodes? I believe it's just the first episode because it's about eighty-five minutes. Uh, but yeah, I'll be at the world premiere if I don't get drowned out by the rain. So I'm very looking forward to it. Yeah, I bet. I'm I'm dying to hear how good it is. But I cannot wait for the show to start. All right, what's next? All right, next up is Ryan Lewis. Looking forward to what DC will do. People are hesitant, and I understand, but I feel Gunn and Saffron are the right people to do it. Bring on the filthy, as always. I I don't understand the the hesitation. And I'm the guy. I don't care what any of you think of Henry Cavill as Superman. You are not as big of a fan of Henry, Kufel's, Henry Cavill's Superman as me. I'm sorry. Unless your name is Mrs. Cavill, you ain't. <laughs> but even I, even I know that it was time for a change. And that sucks. I, I mean, I obviously i want more henry is he's my favorite superman of all time but it's time for change i do not understand the hesitation of it it's finally d somebody is running dc that has the guts to recognize and acknowledge hey what we've been doing hasn't worked and it's time to change it up and again you can be the definition of insanity keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results it ain't happening folks it ain't happening the general movie-going audience has made it very clear they do not believe in the current iteration of DC. They just have. So it's time to change things up, and James Gunn is the guy to do it. And who knows? We might see the first James Gunn movie in DC come out, and it may suck. And if it does, we'll go, damn, that sucked. But <laughs> if you go by Peacemaker or Suicide Squad or Guardians or Slither, or what, it ain't gonna. This guy has an understanding of of the world of DC much better than most people. And, uh, and he's got a passion for them. He loves these characters. I cannot wait. But too many people are, well, he took away the thing I liked. And nobody has a right to do that more than me. I could totally do that. But I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to this with optimism. I think James Gunn is the man. Me too. All right, what's next? Next up is Love, Daggerborn. A year ago, Matthew Vaughn said in an interview that they would start shooting The Kingsman 3 September 2022 but nothing has been heard since that interview. Do you think the Kingsman three will be made? I, for some reason I got an itch in my brain that maybe they did start shooting it. I can't remember. All, all I know is this. I don't care. Um, and, and if you had gone back and asked me after watching the first Kingsman for the first time saying, Hey John, do you think you'll care when they announce they're doing a Kingsman three? I would have gone, of course. Unfortunately, I saw Kingsman two, which gets worse and worse with every time I viewed it. It's, it's not good. Kinsman 2 is just not good. No. I mean, that's just a personal opinion. Obviously, you may love it. And if you do, that's great. But for me, it's just not good. And then the one they did with the great Ray Fiennes, uh, oh, the, King's Men, or, the King's yeah, Man. Or the King's Man. The King's Man. So bad. It also was not good. Like mm -hmm. their twist with the villain. I guess like, how the F does this make any sense? It mm -hmm. was just not good. So listen, I'm not saying the movie can't be great. You got a great director. You got obviously promising IP. So maybe it will be great, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I was a cat. You got any excitement for well, it? Well, you know what? I loved the first Kingsman. It's me too. Who I, doesn't? I loved it. I, I, I thought that it was interesting because the second one, the Golden Circle, it just didn't have that same. The thing about the, the first movie is it had a villain that I was like, I kind of agree with him. You know, So there was an interesting philosophical, when you're dealing with your big bad, that the other movies, they just didn't capture the other two films. And I mean, I'd watch another one. I, I want that franchise to get back on track. I mean, I don't hate those movies. I found them watchable. I enjoyed them enough, but they just weren't. By the way, wasn't, 
Rasputin? Wasn't oh. he also the king's hand in uh, House of the... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a... What, what, why am I freezing on his name? Um, Reese Ifrin... Reese, Reese yeah, Fons. Yeah. 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 He was great. I loved that character. Yeah, really it, no, like it, was, it was great. His but dance it, fighting was yeah. magnificent. It was. Yeah. It was beautiful. It yeah. was. All right, what's next? Next up is King Tannic. Hey, King Tannic. Uh, Wakanda Forever ending at 800 million in 2022 is the first year since 2017 that no MCU movie has made 1 billion. Obviously, all of these films were successful, but what does this mean for the future of the MCU theatrically? Since 2017? That's not correct. Uh, because there, there were a number of billion-dollar films that came out after 2017, but it's the first one in, in a while. Again, we said this before that, and by the way, Spider-Man No Way Home made $1.9 So, and that was only just, just recently, too. So that's not quite true, but... We are still living in an era. We've been saying this for a while. And we said it before the pandemic was over. We said, what's going to happen is we're going to get the pandemic behind us. We've been saying this for a long time. We're going to get the pandemic behind us, but then we're still going to have a year, year and a half, two years of dealing with the after effects of the pandemic. The reality is that we, the movie going audience still has not fully returned back yet. I think 2023 is going to be a big turnaround year for that. Um, it came out in that era. Again, you were, you were dealing with a movie that, was a sequel without your main star, and without your main character returning. There's never been an example of that being done in, in Hollywood history when that succeeded. And it made 800 and it million. And it still made 800 million and 20, $820 million still. I mean, I, I brought up some of the other ones. Somebody wrote to me with a great example. Too. I, I've talked about some of the other films that tried to do a sequel without your main star and without your main character. And it's Speed 2. Uh, well, you still no, no at least Keanu had you, you had no Keanu Reeves, but you still had uh, the second Black. main character there. But the, you know, you had uh, the Born Identity or the Born uh, Legacy. That was yep. that didn't work. Somebody wrote to me another one. I couldn't believe I didn't think about this. Somebody wrote to me, Ron, and said, "Hey, John, when you missed?" I'm like, "What's that?" Smokey and the Bandit three <laughs> that they did without. Uh, how did Burt you Reynolds. ever miss that? Yeah, yeah how did I miss that one? <laughs> this has never happened. It, it was still a great result. Spider Man crossed that mark. I don't think I don't think Ant Man is going to cross a billion. Guardians is, yeah. I'll tell you right now, unless the word comes out that it's total trash, Guardians is going to make a billion. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, what's next? All right, a Sith Lord, Rob. I've been reading the Next Men, and whew, I really love this comic. Uh, such an odd comic, but. Guess what was on the back of issue nine and ten? Army of Darkness. Honestly, Rob, thanks for such a great recommendation. What is the Next Men? The Next Men is a comic that John Byrne did, uh, a, an original creation of him. It's kind of got an X Men esque vibe, but not really. Different kinds of characters, um, and it's 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 got sci fi. It's it's kind of a cross between X Men and Jack Kirby, in a way. But it was really good, and he did it for Dark Horse. I believe. And it was good, but it came out sporadically. And I don't think he ever finished it. But here's a question. Was it as good as the Sex Men? Are you are you familiar with the Sex Men? N no. Is it like Sex Criminals? Because that comic is amazing. No. That is an amazing comic. Sex Men was the name of an episode of Doom Patrol. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Where right. a bunch of... Uh, I, I, I can't make this up. When ghosts, horny ghosts get out, they start banging a lot and they start having this giant orgy. All these ghosts are having this giant orgy in the Doom Patrol mansion. And 
a ghost orgy can bring about the apocalypse. Well, obviously. So there's a crack team of people called the Sex Men who are kind of a cross between X-Men and Ghostbusters that show up when these ghost orgies happen you can literally and call shut it, it down before coming. the apocalypse happens. Oh. I wish I could, I mean, I can't make this stuff up. It's brilliant. One of the reasons why Doom Only Patrol absolutely rules. <laughs> wow. All right, what's next? All right, now we're on today's member chats. Uh, first up is Jedediah Elias. What do you think the Regal secret screening will be tonight? My guess is missing sequel to 2018's Searching or that Gerard Butler plane movie. Is there an Apple Plus one? Is either one of those an Apple Plus one that or that Apple has at least produced? Because that's what the last couple of ones have been. But those two, Missing, which is the follow up to Searching, um, at the spiritual successor to Searching, yeah. and Plane are definitely too high. I mean, it ain't going to be Ant Man, which wouldn't that be great if it was Ant Man? I know. Oh my God! If I wake up tomorrow and find out that the secret screening <laughs> was Ant Man and I didn't go, I'm going to be very pissed. I'm going to Plane regardless. I can't wait. I think it's going to be Missing. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, we'll find out. All right. What's next? Uh, let's see. Gundam 11. Guys, we want to thank a Finally sponsor got a chance this to video. Watch the offer. Great show. Mobile. It is it's now second best show this past year. Number one for me was for Andor. Thanks and bring on Why the filthy. Why are you still uh, we have the Mint Mobile ad up for some weird. reason? There we go. Um, Should I read it again? or Yeah, read it again. Okay. Gundam 11. Finally got a chance to watch The Offer. Great show. It is now second best show of me for this past year. Number one was 11. Or, sorry. Number one was Andor. Thanks and bring on the filthy. Yeah, I, it's still tough for me between Andor and House of the Dragon, um, but the offer was masterful. It was masterful, Rob. Matthew Good, man. One of Bubby. my favorite performances. None of people Bob say Evans. Bubby. Oh, God. So good. Bubby. <laughs> All right, what's next? And Juno Temple is great. She's always great. She's yeah. wonderful. Love her. Love her. All right, next up is Blake62. 1923 might be the best of these Yellowstone shows yet. Damn you, mid-season breaks. Go ahead and give Helen Mirren the Emmy. I uh, ditched on it. Um, I, I really loved the first episode. The second episode bored me to death because with the um, story with the with the native girl and and the school, it was just, oh, we did all these beats in episode one and they just repeated all the beats in episode two. And oh, this show with Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford. Yeah, great for the five minutes that they were in it. And then I saw episode three and I got, whoa, this Africa, this story going on in Africa is really stupid. And I ditched on it. So I have not seen, I, I will catch up to it and watch it, but I, I kind of became dis disappointed with 1923. What about you? Yeah, you the catch the up end of, I didn't watch this week's episode, but the end of episode three with that gun battle and everybody getting, well, if you haven't seen it, there was a lot of bullets flying. It was pretty interesting. I don't know what the aftermath is, which was this week. Yeah, was the end, ending was interesting. Yeah. But again, it ends with saying, send a note to the boy to come home. In that era, it would literally take months, months, months. for him to get where that would you know where to send the letter and then actually travel back. Yeah. All right. What's next? All right. Next up comes to us from Edgar Ramos. Y'all mentioned the killer in your most anticipated this year. Yes. And that's the first I've heard it mentioned. My friend worked on it and I'm excited for it as well. So the killer is based on it's an adaptation. It's uh, Michael Fassbender who really needs a good movie. He really needs a good movie, but he plays an assassin and it's directed by uh, uh fincher. david fincher it looks fantastic i i'm between that and argyle 
I mean, these these are two of that kind of subgenre of films that I think are very, very exciting films. What do you think? I think Finch is one of my favorite directors working today. And, you know, I, I've maintained, I mean, I love Seven. I think The Social Network is one of the most compulsively rewatchable movies ever made. I don't know why, but everything he's ever done is so, I love Zodiac. Everything he's done is so meticulous. Even the movies that I don't love, like Benjamin Button, is still very watchable and beautifully made. And uh, we need more Fincher in our lives. I love Mindhunter. I can't wait to see what he does. Oh, so bummed about Mindhunter not coming back. I know. It was so good. Chris, if you were to say, if I were to put this to you and say, Argyle or Killer, which one are you looking forward to more? Ooh. Ooh. Maybe Killer. Yeah, I yeah. think just by uh, just because of the filmmaking. Yeah. yeah, and we know a little bit more of the story itself mm-hmm. too. But Argyle looks to be yeah. awesome. I also, can't looks wait for incredible. That. All right, what's next? All right, next up is Scott Logan. Can't wait to see the Borderlands movie. Kevin has been training to get his Roland on. I'm Kevin sorry, Hart's going to be playing a character named Roland in mm-hmm. the Borderlands movie. Oh, yeah. okay. If it ever comes, I mean, they literally shot this thing years ago. Like, I, when when is this movie coming out? I mean, it's not as bad as the Flash situation, but it's getting Flash-esque yeah. at this point. So let, let's just see this damn movie. All right, what's next? Next up is Angel Leon. In preparation for The Last of Us, I watched Chernobyl, and my God, I love it, but I'm not watching it again anytime soon. No, no, I, I can't. I Like, it's haunting and brilliantly done and beautiful and tragic and heartbreaking, and I don't know that I can watch it again, but it is simply the best miniseries maybe made in decades. The acting is incredible. The acting is absolute top shelf. The story, the way they tell the story and the progression of the narrative and the order in which they tell it, it it becomes part thriller, part tragedy, part... It's just one of the most phenomenal things I've ever seen on television. And the fact that this is the guy doing Last of Us gives me a lot of excitement. A lot of excitement. All right, what's next? Arthur Smith. I propose a subscription tier where John tells us about all the spoilery goodness he's seen. Guy, I was telling, I told Rob what it was during the break. And there's a very, I still might. There's a very bitter, spiteful part of me that I just think I want to release them. Now, oh no. Yeah, uh, it just is a big F you to, to, uh, to Disney. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm not going to say anything else. And Rob won't either. All no. right, what's next? All right, Uncle Drew gifted one John Campion membership. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Uncle Drew. Next up, we have Terry, who says, never bet against James. I mean, listen, how many times? I was the same guy. Like, I would bet against Lego movies. And I just stopped betting against Lego movies. It's a bad business to be in. It's a bad business to be in the uh, doubting James Cameron business. Very bad business. That stock market has crashed. All right, what's next? All right, Shaky Jake ninety three says, "Good morning, Smile Farmers. <laughs> Out of curiosity, have any of you watched Doctor Disrespect on YouTube? He's at the top of the mountain, but literally only halfway up. LOL." Um. So first of all, I love that saying, "Smile Farming." Some they brought it up a couple of weeks ago, and I love that saying. Um. Yeah, Doctor Disrespect is a true YouTube personality, even though he only recently went to YouTube because he got kicked off Twitch for reasons no one will ever find out. But he's a he's he's a character. He you know, he wears the fake wig and the mustache and the fake mustache and all that kind of stuff. He has truly cultivated an online persona. And uh it's a wild character. So I've watched I've watched a little bit of Dr. Disrespect. Not I, totally for me, but man, what that guy has created and this online persona he's cultivated is, is pretty impressive. I'll have to delve into that. I watch a lot of YouTube clips, but I have not seen him. 
Yeah, and, he, and, and his live viewership is like stupid huge, like way huge. All right, what's next? All right, next up is Alex Mata. It's game day. Game day. Game day. There we go. Yeah. For a Regal Mystery <laughs> Movie tonight. According to them, it's- No, no, no. No game day for that. No game day for the previous installments of the Regal Mystery Movie being the greatest beer run and whatever that- I, No, 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 no. It does not get a game day shout out. I no. just want it to be the one to summon the group game day. I've never summoned it from the group before. You did a job. It is Thank Quantumania trailer day. It is, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Ant-Man game it's day. Ant-Man there we go. I'll give it for that. All right. And it is college football game day. That's right. Literally. Chips. All right. Sorry. Finish right. off the question. Um, according to them, it's from a major studio that has not played on a screen before uh, this showing. My guess is missing. What are your guesses? I, like I said, I think the person who wrote it in earlier, I think the two biggest, because it's, it's not going to be Ant-Man and it's not going to be something big and major. I, I think Plane is definitely a contender. I'm excited about it. I, it's got that 90s action film, action hero vibe. I, put anything, Gerard, Gerard Butler and anything, I'll get excited for it. Or I think those are clearly the two. I can't even think of a third option, to be honest with you. I can't either. Those are the only two coming up that I can think of. If it's Cocaine Bear, because that's next month, I'm going to be so pissed that I'm not going. I could see it be that. Don't they do the mystery movie, though, like every Monday? No, no, it's not every month. It's just once once a month? Once a month or every couple of months or Yeah, I I don't think it's too often, but I I don't know if they're going to have another one before Cocaine Bear comes out. But if they have it tonight, I'm not When is Cocaine Bear supposed to come out? February... Let me check. I'll check on that. Uh, but let me read it. the next one now, and I'll get back to you. The last couple of ones have been movies that have been coming out within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. But if I agree, if I find out, if I, because I'm not going, because they burned me before. But if um, I find out it was Cocaine Bear, I'm going to be really disappointed that I did February didn't go. 24th is when Cocaine Bear comes Yeah, that out. might be a little far out for their mystery screenings. We got a cosplay for it anyway. We're all going to dress up as Cocaine Bears. I'll be the cocaine. <laughs> oh, yay. I'll be the cocaine. All right, what's next? All right, next up is <laughs> Living with Damron. The James Cameron alien story with the dollar sign as an S was great, but hear me out. More BSs with both of the S's as dollar signs. That's right. I mean, look, I'm sure you can sell somebody at Sony on it. More BSs. <laughs> yes, there was more BS, but now it's more BSs. It's plural. More that sign. means more just more, more BS. We'll make double the money, which still will only be about as much as Black Adam made. So, oh. yeah, not so good. All right, what's next? Next up is Keon Jenkins. Love you all on the show. Sorry, had to do it. From New Hampshire. (laughs) Over under game five trailers uh, during Super Bowl. Uh, One I'm anticipating is Fast 10. Hashtag for family. When is is Fast 10 supposed to come out? May, I think. May? I think May. Is it that soon? Then 100%. I mean, they they have played Fast trailers before at Super Bowl. Um, So I would say 100% on that. Like I, I, I I would be surprised if they did not. I would be surprised if they didn't. All right, what's next? All right, next up, uh, this is our final one from My Comic Planet. Watch the clip of Ricky Gervais hosting the Golden Globes. He roasts everyone. It's the most uncomfortable but ballsy awards monologue I've ever seen. My question is, how much of that did the Golden Globes know about beforehand? They did tech run-throughs. Yeah, Yeah, they they brought him back. I mean, listen, they like to pretend and create because it's good for business. They like to create this thing. It's like, oh my gosh, the Golden Globes. Are sh-. The Golden Globes knew every line he was going to say. Yeah, there's a team of writers who work on his monologue with him. Yeah, they so knew nothing's everything. new to anyone. They like to they like to create this fake illusion yeah. that it was Ricky Gervais sticking it to the Golden Globes. No, I mean I I know they liked. It's kind of like what, what's it called kayfabe in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like I, I get it. We like to believe. 
<laughs> that the Undertaker actually burned alive in the coffin. It's all in the but I hate to break it to you. Yeah, I mean, but it was it was legendary. It 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 really was legendary stuff. But and I, I say this as somebody who's a big Ricky Gervais fan, it does get old. I mean, like once once you've done it and even done it twice, then it's then it becomes shock value and a lot of diminishing returns. Now you got to go further because if you just do it kind of the same, then it just kind of feels like we've been there, done that. And then that runs out. So that's why when a lot of people ask me, Hey, wouldn't it be great if Ricky Gervais hosted this? I like as a Ricky Gervais fan, I'm like, yeah, actually, I don't know if that would be so great anymore. He, he did it. Right. He did it. So I don't, you know, what's like parks and rec with uh, pistol Pete and Pawnee where all they keep doing is asking him to slam dunk the ball. It's like, okay, but uh, we've been there. We've done that. So I don't know. All right. What's next? I think that's it, right? That's it for the, so, yeah, for the members. All right. Let's get over to the new ones that have okay. come in then from, uh, from our uh, channel members. What do we got up here? From Alan Watson. Hey, John, been a fan since the AMC days. I'm from Panama. You've been with me since high school till now, my mid twenties. Oh, wow. Thank you for teaching me about the importance of objectivity and the intricacies of the industry. Well, I mean, and even more important, I, I, I honestly, to play on words here, I think the most important thing, the, the breakdown of civility and movie fan discussion, the most important thing that you must understand is the subjectivity of film, right? And that is what allows us to get rid of this stupid, idiotic tribalism that a lot of people try to create because they build their entire industry on people being angry and hating each other. To go, hey, I love this movie. You didn't? Cool. That's all. I mean, I wish you did, but you didn't. That's all right. Or man, I hate this movie. You love it? Cool. I'm glad you love it. And instead of like that, if, if online film fandom just grasped that idea, then online film fandom would be a much more fun and enjoyable place to be. Instead, there are, there, there are people like in our fan community that they just want there to be tribalism and to be, Oh, you like that? Well, we don't. That means I hate you. I I mean, it's just, uh, so it's the subjectivity of of film that people just need to understand. Cause we all, if we all fundamentally understood that we are all different people and movies as art hit us all in different ways. And I want you to enjoy something that maybe I didn't like. If we could all get there, movie fandom would just be a lot more of a fun place to be. All right. What's next? From Liam O'Toole. Do you think Denis Villeneuve will stick with the Dune franchise beyond the sequel or will look for new projects? Seem as someone who likes to try new things. I bet Dune 2 will be the last Dune thing he does. He might still stick on as a producer on some things, but I think you're exactly right. I think he's a creative force. He has other things he wants to do. So I think he does Dune 2, and regardless of how successful he is, I think then he'll only be involved as a producer moving forward. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? I I think there's a possibility, if they do Dune uh, Messiah, that he would stick with that, because that kind of, there's a, there's a naturally, a natural end to that, of Paul Atreides' rise and fall. So I could see that happening, maybe. All right, what's next? From Dwayne Cinema. Hey, John and crew. Big fan of the show. Wasn't a fan of Megan, unfortunately, but am wildly pumped for Ant-Man. Let's go, Phase 5. Yeah, listen, Megan, like anything that's entertainment, I, I watched it and it absolutely hit me the right way and it certainly hit my theater in the right way. But I can totally see how that if you're wired a little bit differently, it may just hit you as schlocky. And I, I could, t- but for me, it completely worked, but right. I could totally see why for some people it wouldn't absolutely hundred percent. So if it didn't work for you, didn't work for you. Nothing wrong with that. All right. What's next? 
from uh, Sam Fisher. Oh, wait, sorry. Dwayne Cinema again. I believe believe that they will blow us away with one or two post-credit scenes in Ant-Man 3. Yeah, I mean, I I love post-credit scenes, but it's unfortunate when I think all some people look forward to is what's in the post-credit scene, yeah. right? Um, I, I And I focus more on the movie itself. Like, I get as big of a kick out of a good post-credit scene as anybody, but I, I don't really look for it. But I do think you're right. I think with where the MCU is right now and Kevin Feige promising that the bigger picture is going to be coming into focus with what phase four and phase five is ultimately going to be. I don't think you're wrong. I, I do think we're going to get some stunners in post. And and the thing I saw, I honestly don't know if that was a post-credit thing, thing, scene or not, but I think they could drop some bombs with it maybe. Uh, I think so too. I'm expecting a lot from this movie, especially moving the MC forward. Right. Revelations, John. But here's the thing. What film fans have to get over is, I, I feel like a lot of film fans these days don't even care about the quality of the story and the narrative is, where's the cameo? Who's the big cameo yeah. that's supposed to show up? And it's like, who gives a shit about that? I mean, if it does and it works, great, fun, yay he. But let's focus more on what the story is about the, the movie as a whole. What are two hours giving us rather than the two minutes that we get later on? But I mean, Agreed. I'm a sucker for post-credit scenes too. All right, what's next? From Sam Fisher, Chris. I get that dub voice actors are still voice actors, but is the community smaller than regular voice actor community? How much smaller and are they more insular? I don't know if that's the right word. Um, okay, let me try to figure this out. So you're asking if we're a different type of actor or like in an a different act, type like of a community? voice actor who does goes into say like a Shrek and does does the voices for the movie, they are the original voice mm -hmm. versus Actors who take a pre-existing property that's in another oh. language and then do the dubs for that. Sure. So there's a couple different studios that do that here in the States, for sure. Um, we've got, a, especially when it comes to anime, right? A lot of them are based in uh, Houston, Austin, and then here in Burbank as well. Um, those actors typically do focus on doing dubs or ADR work. Um, you'll also see them dubbing over things for Netflix and things like that. Um, those actors still are working on other projects, though, right? Just because you've seen me in a commercial before doesn't mean I only do commercials. Just because I've done a dub before doesn't mean I only do dubs. Um, those communities are very, very tight-knit. Sentai Filmworks, who I got to work with in Houston, uh, they only pulled from Houston stage actors, which was really, really cool. And so you would get to know everyone who did the dub because you'd either been in a stage show with them at the Alley Theater or you were seeing them in Crossing when you would go in for your booth time. Um, so, I mean, they, they can be more tight-knit communities, but acting is acting is acting. All right, and uh, time for one more. What's next? From Amin. Early predictions for Avatar 3 opening weekend. I think it'll be 180 to 200. The shorter two-year gap between the films now will be a massive boost. Well, I mean, it's it's impossible to say yeah i mean i mean we we don't know what the trailers are going to be like the advertising what their approach to it is going to be and and listen remember avatar films so far just two in don't start with the biggest weekends i mean the first avatar film had a 70 something million dollar opening weekend yeah went on to become the biggest grossing film of all time this one had a what what was it 130 Something like that. What was the opening weekend for Avatar 2? Like 130 or something like that? Again, big, but not huge. But that's not what the Avatar movies are. They're not movies that come out of the gate with big fireworks and everything. They just come out and then everybody just keeps going to see them. And they just have legs and legs and legs and legs and get bigger and bigger. So, I mean, hey, listen, if an Avatar movie can come out and open to 180 to 200 million, then it's scary to think about what it's overall. So we'll see. We'll see. We're, that's a long ways off, though. Long way off. 
All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show. Thank you so much for being here, making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all of you guys, our channel members who sent in all those questions. Number one, because he gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, by being channel members, you're big supporters of our channel. So thank you guys so much for that. All right. A little bit of uh, housekeeping. Don't forget, guys, a little bit later today, the next issue of The Weekly Hero comes forth with Robert Meyer Burnett and Chris Carr. We hope you guys will come back and join us for that. Uh, and also, don't forget, for those of you who are channel members, a little bit later today, I will post in the community the exact time that it'll start, but we will be doing a channel members town hall meeting uh, a little bit later where I will give you guys some insight about what's going on here at the channel as well as take your direct questions about what's going on at the channel, all that kind of stuff. Hope you guys will be able to join us for that. So, for everybody in the room, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, Ray Orr has been back there, Taylor Gonzalez, Jonathan Voico running the show, and of course, the wonderful Chris Carr. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.